Welcome to the Challenge Cycling Podcast. And today we have Senator Roisin Garvey. Go back a good few years, Roisin. It's weird calling you a senator. I'd say more activist, environmentalist, a doer, and just an all-around legend. How are you? Yeah, I, I, the senator title doesn't really sit well with me either, but I, I'll have to get used to it, I suppose, for another while. You certainly will, all right. So, Roisin, I mean, up to now we've had, you know, professional cyclists and racers and that, but I think it's really important to get someone on who can talk about, you know, the, the groundswell uh, cycling around the country. And, you know, you've been involved in promoting cycling going back a good long time now. Tell us how you got into cycling. Um, I suppose, like everybody else, I learned to cycle on my older brother's bike uh, when it was, it was way too big for me. And uh, from there, I used to cycle into camogie training and stuff. My parents were busy, so we had to figure our own way of getting around. Then in college, I cycled a bit in Galway, but there was a lot of rain, so I used to walk because it was less splashing, less splashback in the, in the, on the back when you walk. And then I kind of didn't cycle for a few years. I was in America and Germany and didn't cycle much at all. Came back to Ireland then, cycled a bit, but I was actually a bit afraid of cycling then. And I would say I didn't know where I belonged in the road. I felt I was in the way of traffic. Uh, I didn't feel that safe. And I kind of gave it up, I suppose. And then 15 years ago, I got a job with Untashka Green Schools as a travel officer. I'd been doing maths, physics, teaching and environmental education, but this was a job specifically on transport and looking at schools, the school run and working with individual schools to try and see if we can get kids out of cars and maybe mm. walk or cycle or park and stride. So to that end, uh, we got cycle training from two lads from Manchester and that was the game changer for me. And now I always say, just because you're a cyclist doesn't mean you don't need cycle training because I was willing to cycle, but this, made me understand where I belonged on the road as a cyclist and the rights I had as a cyclist and how it's actually much better to be assertive on the road as a bike as a cyclist you're actually safer a cyclist if you're if you're confident and believe you have the right to be there and um, we did cycle training. A bit about that now sorry to jump in but yeah like a lot of us as cyclists we kind of don't know how to behave on the road you know I don't mean that in a bad way but you kind of make it up as you go along and you're, you're kind of running the gauntlet sometimes. I know out here in Galway, you're going out the, the, the Spiddle Road mm. and there's quite a lot of conflict between cyclists and motorists, you know? Um, and, you know, accidents aside, there's a lot of aggro that gets raised because, you know, if there's two cyclists cycling abreast, then motorists are getting angry. You try and pull in, maybe you're giving the, the motorist a sign that he should go for that little gap that's there and that's dangerous. How do you find your place on the road? And, yeah. and, and is this the problem in Ireland that we don't have this cycling infrastructure? Yeah, it's not all about e infrastructure either. There's also behaviour because, I mean, I would have worked with a lot of rural schools. I would find some smaller country roads quite safe for cycling. I, I think for me, it's first of all, take away the us versus them thing. It's people moving and we all have choices. We can drive a truck. We can drive. A, we can cycle a bike. We can walk. But we all have equal rights to the road. And that's the first thing. So it isn't about who's right or who's wrong. It's like, what is the safest way to maneuver around each other, no matter what we're moving, what we're using to move. And that's the key thing for me. So if I stop at a traffic lights, for instance, and there's a taxi driver beside me, I, I, I have the right to go in front of him on the bike, maybe have a look at him, salute him, whatever, make contact. And then off you go when the lights go green, pull into your space. Then there's this primary 
and secondary position, which I think is a really important one. Um, your primary position on the road is um, middle of the left lane. And of course, if you're cycling along, you, you, you go into the secondary, which is your um, left-hand side, but not in, not in kissing the ditch on top of the broken glass, which is where I thought I belonged. But it's a good meter out. And you hold your space because if you do so, cars have to treat you with respect. They have to wait till it's safe to do so, and then they overtake. If you're in too far, they will try and overtake you and still stay on their side of the road. And that's when the accidents happen. So yeah, there's so many... There's so many close calls like you'd have out on the road, um, you know, cars trying to trying to squeeze by by on these tight roads. Yeah, um, that's why you need to shove out because if you shove in, they think they can squeeze past you. There's no squeezing past you if you're a meter out. Yeah. And like if they're behaving with the the broken lines and the and the full lines, cars will often try and overtake you on a on a full con continuous white line because uh, they think they'll fit past you and stay on their side of the road. Whereas if you're out a meter which you have the right to do so because you actually have equal rights to the road as a car driver, they're going to have to wait till it's safe to overtake you. So that's where you belong on the road, a metre out. And at junctions, you belong in the middle of the left lane. And like and in, that, in other countries, like let's say you go to, you know, on the continent, I mean, there's a different culture of cycling. You know, here it's kind of like, it's like a polarised battle between cyclists and motorists. Yeah, I mean, the media play it that way. I don't think it's as polarised as people think, but that makes for good stories, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I find a lot of drivers fairly courteous most of the time. I won't tell you the exact car types that the, the average tosser that's going to overtake you, clip you dangerously <laughs> is. But uh, I'd love to do some statistics on it someday because they ain't driving the smallest, the slowest, the cheapest cars. Um, like, I just think it's, it's not about creating a divide or us and them. I think it's more important. I'm a car driver as well, of course. But because I'm a cyclist, I know how to treat cyclists with respect. And it's something I brought up recently with the, with the, with the Minister of Department of Transport is looking at that. Maybe there's a need to bring in cycle training as part of your driving license, mm. starting with truck drivers and all the way down, you know. Um, we really made a mess of how we see the use of roads. We think roads are for cars. Roads started off with being for cows, first of all, bohers. And their roads are places to link people to other other people in other places that's what they're for so that's the primary use of, of a road it's not to get cars somewhere fastest it's to get people from a to b no matter how what way they choose to get there so i think we need to rethink how we share space and yeah i have to say if i was if i was on a road for ages and i felt i was delaying cars for a long time and i'm not in a mad panic which i which i wouldn't be i mean i i might drive fast in a road but when you when i'm cycling i'm not going to kill myself trying to get somewhere I, I might in the car, so it's another safer, safer thing about cycling. But I don't mind pulling in sometimes. You know, if we want cars to just respect, we've to we've people in driving cars, we have to show them a bit of respect too. The two abreast thing, absolutely, it's totally legal, it's allowed. But you know, if you feel there's a massive tailback, no matter what your personal best is, and you're trying to get there, it might be best to um, to get out of the way. You know, we have to just learn sometimes. Sometimes we want cars to get out of the way for us. You know, the, we, it's, it's all about sharing the space. And I do think, I find that junctions and stuff, the difference eye contact makes reminds the people on the bike and the car that we're just two people that have chosen two different ways to get around, as opposed to the metal box versus the small metal frame, you know? Mm -hmm. And to bring back that human connection in it, as opposed to us versus them. A little bit, yeah, like a little bit of courtesy goes a long way, doesn't it? And if, let's say if you pull in for a car, 
like they're going to treat the next cyclist they meet along the road with a bit more respect. You know, and you build up a kind of a trust and a respect. Yeah, I mean, I do feel when I'm on the bike, especially in Dublin, I feel like I'm an ambassador for every cyclist. We yeah. all are. And if you're going to be breaking lights and acting the maggot, you're letting the cyclist down, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The traffic lights, the roads are for all users, but so are the traffic lights. I'm sorry, but like that's just the way it is. So, you know, some of my friends who cycle a lot tear through red lights. I just think it's a really bad idea. First of all, it's dangerous, but you're giving us all a bad name, you know? When you're on yeah. a bike, you're advertising cycling, full stop. And I think it's good that we remember that. But saying that, I, I don't think cycling dangerous, dangerously is as much a threat to pushing somebody to death as a car driving dangerously. So, you know, maybe there's a need for cars to be a lot more aware than they are. Cyclists, of course, as well, but you do a lot more damage. You know, speeding, car speeding is the number one killer in Ireland. Let's not forget that. Mm-hmm. So, so, so just say you are cycling. Like today now, I was cycling with teenagers and they kind of felt that they were delaying traffic. But it was a built-up urban area with lots of people living in the area. And I said, lads, you know, if you're slowing a car down in an urban area, don't feel bad about that. Cars should not be driving fast in urban areas. You know, I mean, there's a huge progress there in, in the Love 30 campaign in Dublin recently. And we need to look at the speed we've been allowing um, cars to travel in built-up areas. Um, I was saying to a friend recently, she lives on the Lehinch Road in Ennis. I said, that isn't a road for cars to get into Ennis from Lehinch or Ina. That's a road going through loads of housing estates where people live. And, you know, that has to be thought about as well, because at the end of the day, I, I think all those roads um, in, in towns, close to towns, first kilometre or two, they should all have cycleways. Mm. And even if that involves taking some space off the cars, because you'll get the local cars off the road and you'll make space for the cars that have to be on the road. But 60% of all car journeys in Ireland are two kilometres or less. Now, that's food for thought. And all the work I ever did on behavioural change in schools in 14 years in Clare wasn't a patch on what the year did for um, during COVID for getting people back out of cars. And people saw their own roads for the first time from the perspective of a pedestrian or a cyclist. Because in my work, I often got people back on bikes for a one, once-off event or walking. And it, it might have been the first time they'd actually walked or cycled that road because they'd just always driven it. So it, it put into perspective then for them, it made them realise, wow, Look how quiet it is when we don't have cars. And look how mad it is when a car passes you really fast. Mm. It doesn't make you feel comfortable. So I think there was a great thing there. I saw that shift a lot of people's um, attitudes towards cycling. Definitely. And I mean, the amount of people who have, you know, dusted off the bikes, people buying bikes, getting out, cycling, exercising, using the roads and kind of appreciating just their local area. The little roads that they wouldn't have known existed. Yeah, no, it's massive. And I, I think it's an interesting point. If you reflect on, you know, we'd say Holland is great and it'll never be like Holland. Holland was as bad as Ireland. But in the 70s, the parents took to the streets and had protests about children getting killed off bikes because it wasn't safe. And the parents felt that children had the right to cycle. And that was the start of a revolution in cycling in Ireland. And I think I think we finally come to the same place here in Ireland, Ireland now that it's 2021, that, you know, people have the right to be able to walk and cycle the road safely. It's not all about giving over to the cars. And I think as a car driver, I need to be more mindful of that when I'm in a car, that it's not just my God-given right to take up all the space. And now we have the funding there. The Minister of Transport wants to spend a million a day on walking and cycling routes. He's giving extra staff to every local authority. We have no reason now why we can't get this route and be the Holland of 40 years ago. So tell us then, right? I mean, this pandemic has come along, but there's a silver lining to this, that people have kind of stood back and smelt the roses. Okay, another year or two, we'll be back again racing around like mad. But this is a unique opportunity, isn't it? 
to kind of to to really grab that opportunity to Happy grab deal. that momentum and if mm. we don't make the most momentum now could be lost tell me in, ter- in concrete terms okay you're a senator with the green party like what what have you been pushing what are you doing practically so i suppose a million euros a day on walking and cycling infrastructure pushing remote working at least a minimum of 20 percent. you've got less cars on the road if you're not driving to work commuter traffic and school traffic are the two biggest problems when it comes to traffic and we now see that that has led to huge air quality issues as well so it's not just about the climate but that about even if there was no climate change issue this is better for us mentally socially physically as a community and now we have no excuses for years there was excuse there was reasons there there wasn't money for infrastructure we didn't have the staff you know it wasn't a priority it was all about fixing potholes and getting cars in the roads and now i just think the next year or two are vital to be the turning point and if we play our cards right we could really change the country and be the best place in in the world to come visit because holland is great now but it's boring and ask that's the Dutch, uh, as, as a country to cycle, I mean, it's not boring, but, you know, <laughs> you talk to Dutch and German cyclists, you've all the infrastructure in the world. They swap it all for the amazing landscape we have and the character of our country. So, my God, we are sitting on a gold mine here when it comes to it. Yeah, I mean, I'm living here in just the west of Galway. And during the pandemic, well, during the, the big lockdowns, I was blessed because I got up the back of the house. And there's these small roads going every direction, up by the bog, down by the river, you know. No People are, are blessed with the, the roads we have around, you know. And like right. you say, it's the roads are the roads are for everyone. Yeah, we're, we're, we are lucky as a nation. We, we have, like, there's seven ways to everywhere in rural Ireland, I always say. Yeah. And they might not all be safe for cycling, but if you if you want to be a cyclist, you'll be a cyclist, you know what I mean? And now more so than ever. But I, I think it's important for people as well to, to you know, Call out the councils, ask them what they're doing. Why can't my child cycle except to school? What are you doing about it? You know, what, yeah. what about the speed limits? Some of our rural roads are ridiculous in the speed limits. In England, they have this thing called slow roads, and mm. they've, they've lowered this, the speed limit on some of the country roads. We know how some of them are narrow as hell, but they're mm. 80 and 100k, and that's nearly setting a target. And you see old people can't walk, they have to get taxis everywhere, dogs are getting killed, kids are all getting driven everywhere. No, it's 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 not fair. Um, I, I just feel I feel I suppose I'm not, I shouldn't be giving out. I feel optimistic. I think we've yeah. a real opportunity here, and it's up to everybody, not just the politicians, but everybody, to demand it, ask for it, take the photographs of the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, get out there, do it. I had an issue with a van parking on a cycle lane right in front of me the other day. Took a photo, sent it to the boss. Big apology. We've got to pull people up on these things. It's not acceptable anymore. We have the right to walk and cycle safely as well as drive. You know. Within reason, of course, rural areas, you'll never get cycle lanes. So don't be waiting for cycle lanes to cycle in rural areas. But find slower roads, find quieter roads. And tell us now, right, let's let's put the, the politics aside, okay? Um, during, the, during the lockdown, how, how, was, how were things for you, you know, and, and how were things with, with cycling around and getting around, you know? Amazing. How did you find it? Oh, I loved it. Like, it was amazing because I met all my neighbours. Like, you think... You know your neighbours out the country, you might know them, but do you meet them? No, because we're all in cars. You have a better chance of meeting your neighbour in an urban area because there's actually more walking and cycling in urban areas. But it was just amazing here. I live five kilometres from the closest shop. But I met all my neighbours. I walked with my neighbours. I'd be outside painting or gardening, stop and have the chats. The, the pace of time just slowed down, you know. And yeah. I, I used to always say to kids, you know, when you're in a car and your friend is in a car, you fly past each other and you're like, oh, there's... And they're gone. No chats. 
But uh, the slower you move, the more you connect with the people around you. And at the end of the day, no, no woman or man is an island. And we, we need connection. And when we got that connection, it kept us sane during COVID. Yeah, pop your collar down there. It's just the mic is hitting off it again. The one below the mic. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Um, and, and what kind of work are you doing with, with teenagers? I mean, what's the biggest... Like, is it important that that people, when they're young, get training on bikes? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the plan is to give training to every 56-class student in the country. But, like, I, I was doing cycle training with kids for 14 years. It, it made a huge difference because even the lads who thought they knew it all and were into speed, they didn't know how to use their gears properly. They didn't know how to cover their brakes. They weren't actually sure of where they belonged on the road. They didn't have full control of the bike. They were only stopping with skids. They couldn't actually stop if I drew a line. And some of those guys became safer cyclists, yeah. maybe not faster cyclists. And then some of the weaker kids were actually better cyclists because they were more focused and conscientious. Um, I think like one of the massive things is because kids grow, the saddles are too low or too high. I could spend all day in schools just pumping tires and adjusting saddle height. Sorry, I could spend all day showing kids how to do it because that's what I did in the end. I used to get, I'd have seven or eight stations, put them into groups of three or four and time them again. I'd show them all how to do it and send them mm -hmm. off as the challenge, and I go and inspect them. Because, you know, we don't want to be mollycoddling kids. We want people to be, we want people to be, and not our, our adults either, we, we want them to be able to do it for themselves. I, I remember doing this community bike fixing workshop um, in an assignment a few years ago. We fixed 110 bikes in three hours. And yeah. I, I basically advertised as a free bike fixing event. But what they didn't know is when they got there, they had to work with the bike mechanic to fix their own bike. And it was great, like, and there was races, 70, you know, races from the 70s with Dynamo coming out of the sheds. And ah, it's just brilliant. Just a little bit of knowledge goes a long way when it comes to a bike. And that's the great thing about a bike. It's not complicated so much as, as a car, you know. Yeah. Well, you're saying about teenagers, you know, not being able to move up and down their saddle. There's plenty of grown ups I know now that they're always poking and messing with the saddle. One day it's too high, the next day it's too low. They're never happy just to leave it. Overthinking it. Yeah, yeah. New saddle every second week. They should learn from the teenagers. And I suppose for me, I found it easy to get the children back on the bikes. Teenagers are a bit more self-conscious, you know? Mm, and that was one yeah. massive thing about COVID. It, it normalized. When I see teenage girls in a gang on bikes, I nearly cry. We were down to 500 teenage girls in the whole country cycling to school up to last year. Mm. Like, that's just scary. And, like, it's so good for their mental health. It's so good mm. for them. It makes them that they want to be, they want to look good, but cycling makes you look good. It gives you a glow on your cheeks, makes you fit, makes you strong, it makes you healthy. You know, that's that's a good thing, no matter what age you're at. And I just like today, the five teenagers came at me, had a ball, like, and they were all thanking me profusely. And I was like, don't thank me, just go cycle. You know, I, you yeah. don't, I don't need to organize an event for you to do this. Yeah. Knock yourselves out. You know, I was in Shannon, like, we were cycling through forests, cycling on the road, bit of everything. They've got a pump track there that I never knew they had. It's a, and but two of them went on roads they had never been on in their own town, you know. Mm, mm. And like, there's there's great satisfaction too in being able to fix your own bike, isn't there? Like, I oh, know yeah. myself now when I started cycling first. Now I kind of came to it late. Um, that like, I I I couldn't even change a change a tire, and I could when I was young, you know. Um, and then I started kind of getting into fixing my own bike, doing bits and pieces. I wouldn't have to bring it to the bike shop. And when you've done something like, you know, simple things even, mm. or you start to learn how to how to do your own gears, do your own chain, you know, there's, there's a real sense of satisfaction from it. 
you know, I think we kind of got carried away with getting everybody to do everything else for us, you know, paying people to do this and that and the other. And mm. like out of those 110 bikes, at least 60 of them needed a good oiling of the chain, maybe a tweaking of the brakes and tires pumped. But nobody, they hadn't bothered doing that. People are just mm. got like, oh, you bring it to the bike shop and then it's stuck in the shed for six months to get around to it. So I do think it can be very empowering, <coughs> even for the basic thing. And I, I don't think you have to go into the complicated stuff. I think for people to be able to definitely know how to attach a pump properly, read the PSI on the side of the tire, pump it to a nice high pressure, get the saddle right, know which is your front and back brake and how to use them properly going up and down hills and how to use your gears properly. That's plenty to be getting on with. Plenty. Yeah, yeah. And um, tell us, as, as a public representative now, what did you think of um, the crack now? I know cy cyclists around here during the 5k lockdown cycling was like the new drink driving there was fellas plotting routes to try and get outside their 5k and they were trying to figure out where the guard checkpoint was i know there was one always a guard in barna and there was always a guard over at mam cross and you know fellas plotting routes in around back roads and back over oh, the yeah. Shannon hill and you know as as the lockdown went on after after a few months um it was hilarious like you know if people kind of turn into little mini criminals trying to get yeah. 10k 20k out of their cycle without and now we have the county thing people are just cycling around and around the county like <laughs> yeah. i met a lad today he told me he cycled around the county twice last weekend <laughs> but like what was interesting like you you know everybody that's passing on a bike or walking except for the the mammals there i don't know who they are you know <laughs> but it's, it's got them off the main roads so to the, the secondary routes which is not a bad thing because most of those primary roads that have a line down the middle and no hard shoulder, they're the most dangerous roads. They're far more yeah. dangerous than the narrow country roads. You know, they're the ones to avoid. The speed, yeah. Except for my son cycled from Ennis Diamond to Russellville a few speed. years ago. And um, the country roads were all grand. When we got to the bit from Kilcolgan to Galway, no, mm. from Kinvara to Kilcolgan, it's that primary main road, but like a line down the middle telling mm. the cars they own all the left and all the right. Yeah. No hard shoulder, no strip, lethal. Like I was, I was worried for that because you know if you're if you're at the top of a hill on a bend, yeah, you're like okay, Quran, move as quick as possible. But I didn't feel I didn't feel threatened any of the rest of the time. The rest of it felt safe. I had him out in front. That's a big thing. People need to put the kids in front of them, not behind them. You know, it's not yeah. like ducks. You put the, yeah. you put the child out in front, and but like he was ten, had a ball by yeah. by halfway through the first day, he was in fifth gear and never going down again. He he was awesome. Yeah, kids can cycle. Yeah. I have had four-year-olds do 8K with me. Parents think the kids can do, you know, around the house, aren't they great? Because they're three and a half. Yeah. Our kids are just as hardy as we were, like. And they like cycling just as much as we did. It's amazing. It's mad because once they get going, like, and once they get a buzz, or if they're going with a friend or something, mm. all of a sudden they're 10, they're 10 kilometers done, you know? Yeah. And I know my own daughter, when I was bringing her out, say just me and her, after about 500 meters, she'd be going, oh, my legs are tired. But if I was going out, brought her and brought a friend of hers, they'd be yapping away and they'd be in the next town before you know it. You Not know? a bother, yeah. yeah. Actually, a big, a big thing I have an issue with is the stabilizers because I think it does kids a huge disservice. Oh, in, yeah. In, yeah. in mainland Europe, they don't use stabilizers, they just use balance bikes. You yeah. can buy a balance bike for 40 quid and forget What's about balance the balance bike. Is that joke with no pedals? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're brilliant. Straight from that onto pedals. Yeah, straight, yeah. So it's like oh, yeah. you can even you can even get bikes now that come without pedals. You can add the pedals on after. Yeah. But you don't if you use stabilizers, you're telling the kids that they can't balance on two wheels and they need four wheels to balance. Yeah. 
Mm. And then you're saying, okay, we're taking away half the wheels that you were using to balance. Now do it on yeah. two. Because if you have a nice balanced bike, and I've done it actually with kids taking the pedals off the bike, lowered the saddle and sent them off down the road, you know, kind of paddling yeah. almost. And put the legs and, out and then they see they can balance. Yeah, take the pedal. I said to loads of parents, take the pedals off the bike if you don't want to be buying a balanced bike. Take yeah. the pedals off the bike, drop the saddle down a bit so they know if they can put their feet flat on the ground whenever they want yeah. and get them going. And once they can come from that, put the pedals back on again. Mighty. I just hope you're not a swimming coach. I don't think that philosophy applies, does it? <laughs> Keep Fire them like off this. the tear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, stabilizers should be abolished. Yeah, you're traced through, actually, and they're flipping noisy, too. They're a pain. You, you hear them coming mile off. They used to be scary. Do you remember you'd be waiting for the other one to hit the other side? It's awful. I, I, do you know what? Stabilizers, I remember stabilizers. They're more dangerous than they were safe because if the nut wasn't tightened on one of them, you'd go to one side. I'm sure the stabilizing arm would go and, and down the, the kid would go flattened. Yeah. No, they should be banned. You know, we used to actually, when we were on BMX, we'd always mad to BMXs when we were young. You get a coke can and you put it on the front wheel. Oh, for the so noise. And you'd be like a motorbike going around. Oh, yeah. I remember two of that. Our plastic bottle even works. Yeah. I was in one school in the market, they were doing it. I, my, my big story about bikes is uh, my brother had a chopper. You have to have a story about falling off a bike like everybody loves the stories about that one time. But um, I was going down the hill outside here, actually. I was only six. I asked my mother, could I go on his bike? He was 11. She said, no, you're too small. So straight onto the bike, of course. And down the hill, uh, hit the knee off. The, do you remember the gear stick in the middle? Oh, yeah. Hit the knee off that one and landed, you know, full full somersault over, landed on my face, stitches. But maybe I think that 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 in me kind of planted the seed to... To teach kids maybe to do it properly, you know, kids, kids, no, I mean, I learned off my cousins, you know, mm. but that doesn't happen as much now. So you, you'd go into schools, you'd see kids in fourth, fifth and sixth class mortified because they haven't, nobody's taken the time to teach them how to cycle. Yeah. So now with our little insular families and our small broods and a fear of roads or whatever, kids need cycle training more than we, we didn't need it as much, you know? Yeah. 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 And tell us, you know, with the, Give us an idea of what's going on with, with the greenways because we see there's a lot of money being being um, pumped into it. There's a lot of political will. Um, what's what what's happening with 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 the greenways? Like we have some real successful ones, like remember the the, the Westport to Ackle one, then the Warford ones opened, and these are like no brainers. They're just great for local business, packed with people. Um, how many how many kind of how many greenways are in? are under, let's say, consideration? Oh, God, probably 10 or 11. Mm. Um, I think we've, we have to learn from previous greenways as well. None of them came easy, Richie. Yeah. They were all, they were all, um, there was lessons to be learned from all of them. Mm. I had, a, I had, a, I got, it took me six months as a councillor, but I got directors of services and engineers and councillors come down with me to Watford to listen to some of the lads who'd been dead set against it and done a complete U-turn mm. once they'd seen what, how it changed the area. But, um, you, you know, you've got land access issues and you want to bring the farmers on board. And if that isn't communicated to them properly in a way that's positive and you work with them, like there's a myth out there that it goes straight along the old railway line, but it doesn't have to at all. Mm. Your man from Sustrans in England, who's been responsible for like thousands of cycle routes in, in England, made a great point one day at a talk he was giving down Newcastle West, saying, you know, it's, it's boring if you stick to the old railway line exactly how it was, it's straight. So, you know, work with the farmers, see what suits them, come down to the edge of the field, cross over if you have to. The, the greenway, the, the railway lines are, are kind of a guide, a guided thing. 
And yeah. they worked in Mayo because he had it out there and they worked in Waterford because he and and owned most of it. But, you know, we can be flexible about that because some of the railway lines are, are not there and they're going through houses and backyards. And Yeah, yeah. You know, I think the thing, the idea with Mayo and Waterford sticking to the exact railway line, I think that has to be shifted out of our heads that it's that strict. we got to work with the landowners and see what suits them and mm. you can't be zigzagging like hell either. But, you know, I mean, oh, there's amazing... When I, when I went down to Waterford, you know, they gave us the 11 benefits of the Greenway. The 11th yeah. benefit was the economic ones, which was amazing. Really? And this was coming from one of the lads who had been then set against it. Mm. These two sons had emigrated and they're both at home now. One is doing bike hire and one is doing an Airbnb along the Greenway. And he's like the biggest advocate down there now. But he was saying things like no more uh, lo- loneliness. Old people have, aren't lonely because they're meeting everybody from everywhere in the world and their neighbours more. Uh, mental health issues, antisocial behavior, uh, dumping, all the things they thought would be a problem. They thought there was going to be extra dumping, more mm. antisocial behavior. The opposite was the was the result. And maybe we're not doing enough of that kind of talk as opposed to, oh, the B&Bs are full and there's 400 jobs. Like, mm. what are the actual social benefits? One, one really good point you raised there is about that interaction between uh, farmers and stuff that's going on in, in their area, you know? And... From an environmental point of view, let's say environmental initiatives in rural Ireland, often there's a kind of a default position that any new initiative will negatively affect farmers. And often it comes from uh, from a polarised approach or an arrogant approach. But actually, if you get into the community and if you speak to people, you know, you, you find solutions that are in everyone's benefit. And, you know, this is something which I think you've been very good at in that you you talk to people. You don't come in and try and impose policies. You come in and you find out, you know, what's of mutual benefit to everyone? Where are the solutions? Tell us about your approach. Well, I suppose all people really want is a good listening to. And like, if you listen, that's when you learn how to solve problems. It's not by thinking you come in with the solutions. How would you know the solutions? You're not the landowner. You know, you're not the person. So you've got to listen and, and prompt them maybe to see what are the issues and what are they afraid of? What are their fears? Like uh, I had a I had a school there and they were afraid that kids would all get stone killed stone dead, and so I asked the parents to come with me on a walkability audit. They realised they knew every car that passed. They realised that they that they really enjoyed walking that route. They'd only ever driven their kids to school in that route, and we got the parish priest to announce it at mass. We put up small little signs, and that school became a great school for walking and cycling in a rural area. So, but, you know, it's from bringing the parents with me and listening to all the issues they had mm. and from them, but, but inviting them along with me to experience what I was trying to, because it, I think you learn to experience. So how, how can you know unless you've tried it, you know? Now, with, with farmers, I mean, and Greenways, I, I wrote a policy called Farmers First for Greenways, because I know in the past what's happened is local authorities have written to f- farmers saying, oh, by the way, we're putting a Greenway through your land, full mm. stop. Like, what is, what is the worst possible way to start a project with anybody? This is what we're doing through your land. I know, so, sir. Didn't we all see how it happened with how it turned out with Shell up in Northwest Mayo? Yeah. They were putting a pipe through your land. How not to do it by Shell. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you don't you don't go to a farmer whose land has been in, in family for generations and, and say, we're doing this, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from that, Richie. Yeah. Like I, I think like why why would why would you want somebody going through your land? You know, why would you? Hmm. Of course your your default is going to be no. Yeah. So you know, you say, Oh, that's what what how would you feel about this? Is there anybody 
is there anywhere in your land you'd feel comfortable with people going through it if, if we give you fences and insurance and maybe a grant and maybe you have a spare room for an Airbnb you know because like I saw in Waterford people got all the high fences they demanded for privacy but a lot of them took them down <laughs> do you know what I mean but isn't it a lovely sight to like to, to look, we we had a railway in our back garden growing up but it's a lovely sight too looking looking out down the end of the garden and there's families and kids flying by in bikes meeting people yeah there's a good story here behind the there was a, a, a couple of farmers i think in mayo that weren't as quick to sign up as others but apparently it was some of the wives saying jesus would you let them through i'm sick of driving them over and back for everything they'd have to cycle you know there's, there's massive, forget about it if, if a tourist if a, if a tourist never used a greenway the mm. benefits are so big for the people who live on it yeah like there's an old couple that reopened their pub down in the Greenway in Waterford. And like when I was down there, I asked everybody I met what they thought of it. And everybody had their, like the old person had the, how they, you know, they, they would be using the Zimmer frame or, you know, the walking mm. stick. But they felt they could, do, they could walk there safely on the Greenway. Try crossing a road in any town in Ireland feeling safe doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. There's, there's not a lot of safe places for older people or people with disabilities, people with buggies or wheelchairs. You know, there's not a lot of places in, We've let our towns be centered around cars, not people, you know. If you, yeah. if you design for people, you will get people. That's the bottom line. And greenways are designed for people. We saw that in, in, in Galway during the pandemic or during the, the 5K lockdown. Um, along the pram in Galway, they, they put up cones and they stopped cars parking. And then people were able to kind of walk or cycle out a bit onto the road. And it was a perfect opportunity for the council to come in because people had kind of petitioned them, cycling groups. They just put in a very simple uh, cycle lane there, you know. And it was a missed opportunity. The cars are back there again. And most of these people are only driving down from two or three kilometres away, you know. Yeah. Um, but an opportunity missed. Um, yeah. And because yeah. Still not too late though, Richie, maybe, you no, know. No, no, no. Um, hopefully, you know, we're going in the right direction. Now there's actually some investment being put behind this kind of goodwill and hopefully that will bear fruit, you know? Mm. I so, think it's important that we, we try and get staff in our councils that are maybe urban designers or cyclists themselves because uh, like some engineers are brilliant. Like I was in Canada today, the last senior engineer they had there loved cycling. Hence, they've got some really good cycling infrastructure, you know? Yeah. But if you're not a person who understands what it's like to be on a bike, I don't care how many PhDs you have, you're not going to be able to design for a cyclist. Mm. So there, there is something in that, you know, and with this act of travel and the new announcements with the 251 jobs, I really would like to see our, um, people demanding urban designer, urban designers, um, urban architects or behavioral change people working in the councils, not just more road engineers and technicians and stuff, you know. So people really have to take ownership of the issue, not sit back and expect it to happen like, you know, well, that's never worked for me anyway, sitting back, I tell you. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you think of all the different things we've succeeded, you know, the fracking campaign and uh, starting the Steiner schools, anything, you start it, like be the change you want to see and bring people with you. And you have a right as a citizen, the, the politicians are there to, to serve the, the people, the civil servants are there to serve the people, the people need to use their voices. And you can do it in a way by working collaboratively. It doesn't have to be a big... Mad, angry thing, either, although I have used protests quite usefully in the past. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, why you wait back? Don't sit around complaining saying they should be doing this, that or the other. 
Like I met a Dutch guy today and he was giving out about the surface on the Euro Vela route. And I was like, why don't you take your phone and send it in? The girl who does the science for the Euro Vela route is a, to- is a real site. She gets cycling. She might like to know about that problem. You know, we can also be the eyes and the ears of the council. It's not all about them being bad and us being moany, you know. We're yeah. all just people at the end of the day. And most people want what's best for everybody, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Communication. And communication, yeah. Um, not presuming that the council are the enemy or the, the, the car driver is the enemy or the politicians is the enemy, you know. It's all well, I mean, different kinds. Ca- yeah, well, I mean, you've shown it. I mean, you, you can be the council. You know, you can stand for election. You can become a councillor. You can become a TD. You can become a senator. You know, you can become part of the solution. Yeah, and, 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 I, I want to hear from people. I want to hear from people about problems so we can help solve them, you know. Yeah. A friend of mine recently put a tweet out about something she was giving out about. I said, why don't you just ask me? I could have found out for you. But that social media thing, I mean, I know we haven't brought it up, but my God, it's it's not it's not the be-all and end-all. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And tagging a politician in something isn't going to make them isn't going to make them solve it. Like I love getting emails from people who have clear asks of what it is they want. Chances are most people have cop on and they're making a good point. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of rational people out there with good suggestions. So mm. Why not use our voices in that way and, and communicate that, you know, whichever way. But I don't think social media is the way. Social There's media no has ruined the act of debate. Ruined. It's ruined it. It has. Yeah. Like, yeah. I love debating and I, I love being proved wrong because if I've been proved wrong, it's been I've learned something I didn't know before. Mm-hmm. And who doesn't want to learn, you know? But with social media, there's no debate. It's just absolute abuse. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and not just because I'm a politician. Even before that, there's no, <laughs> there's, the act of debate is lost. Yeah. And I have to say the media, not just the social media, but the media play their part in that as well. You know, they yeah. do, there is a lot of this farmers versus climate bill. And like, I, when I, I tell you what I really learned about it, when I was canvassing for the locals there in North Clare, we never had a green or a woman and everybody was saying, you're mad, don't run green, don't run independent. And you know, why are you running at all or whatever? And I, I say I went to a thousand houses. Two people gave me grief about being in the Green Party. Two people out of a thousand. Most of the landowners and farmers were asking me, where are the birds gone? And geez, we had too much silage this year and we hadn't enough last year. And anybody who's out the country has seen that the climate has changed. Farmers know better than anybody. It's such bull saying there's this us and them. It's like, you know, it's like saying all car drivers are bad and all cyclists are awesome. We know that's not true. I've met some right tossers on bikes as well. <laughs> but you know, oh, we have few, to stop this. Um, this way, all right, as well. That generalization is so dangerous. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It is, yeah. Absolutely. And like you say, that's often where the, the, the discourse ends up. You know, it's like clickbait as well. And the media are chasing that a lot of the time. Where do you, you know, the old art of people just sitting down and talking and coming to new understandings. Because like you say, every every motorist, like I'm a motorist, or motorists have, have families that they cycle, cyclists drive cars, you know, it's all in our own our own interest. Yeah, I think maybe the ones that have the strongest opinions are the ones that don't understand the other perspective. And they're yeah. the ones that never cycled or never drove. You know, I find yeah. them, ex- they can be quite extreme and they're the ones that nearly are happy with this division because they see it as true. Yeah. But it's not true, actually, you know. And yeah. variety is the spice of life. So, I mean, it'd be boring if we all agreed with each other all the time and all thought the same things. It'd be zero crack. It'd be like, it's like having monoculture as opposed to biodiversity, you know. Yes, yeah. 5,000 acres of Sitka spruce or native woodland, you know, we all know which is more beautiful and more enjoyable. It's the same with people. I don't know why we expect everybody to agree with us on everything. Mm. I actually personally enjoy people taking me on and challenging me, you know. 
So what do you think so is the biggest what's the biggest challenge then in terms of the developing cycling in this country? I think from top down and bottom up it has to work from every direction. Yeah. Um I think individuals can try and ask for things, just actually do it. For me, a big one was organizing community cycles and community mm. events. I was doing it in schools, but I realized kids weren't actually seeing it in the community. So organizing a foraging cycle or a surfing cycle or, I don't know, you know, a family cycle, that kind of thing, and inviting cycling clubs to take part because I've even, like, been splitting cyclists into groups, you know. There's the lycra cyclists and then there's the cool cyclists. And, but, um, cool and, uh, cyclists. Yeah, you know, you'd have sports cyclists that would cycle everywhere. They'd cycle 160k, but they'd drive around the corner to the shop. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but I and I was kind of resentful of that, and then I realized, why don't you embrace them? And mm. then, like two years ago, I got to do Ireland's biggest children's cycle, 700 kids on bikes. Wouldn't have been able to do it without the great support I got from the local cycling club, you know. And I think on a national level, with the Greens having a minister for transport, if we don't get it right now, we're never going to get it right, you know. Yeah. And you're and you're there shouting all the time, pushing them. Oh, massive, yeah. But I mean, yeah. a lot of the Greens get it. Brian Leddon in Limerick is the spokesperson for transport. Mm. He's big cyclist as well. Doesn't hardly ever drive at all. Aim and sure came from cycling background, and that's mm. what I'm saying. We have the budget and we have the wherewithal, but it'll have to come down to the local authorities. Mm. And for local authorities to get it right, it'll have to come from us providing the funding, but it'll have to come from the people looking for it as well. Because if they think people want cars prioritized, they'll prioritize cars. You know. Yeah. So you have your local councillor to get onto as well. You know, you'd be amazed what people would do for a vote. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. But even, even councillors over COVID, I saw some of them in the own, my own chamber changing their attitude. And all of a sudden they were looking for imp footpath improvements and speed limits and stuff because they had started walking and cycling for the first time in years. Yeah. One of the lads hadn't been on a bike in 40 years and off he went down the road. Have, happy as Larry. But all of a sudden, he was looking for improvements for cycling and walking infrastructure, having all of a sudden his eyes up to heaven at me every month going on about it at the council meetings, you know? Yeah. Mm. So now is the time for people to ask. I think it's really important. Absolutely, yeah. I'm sitting here in Barron and Galway looking across at the burn and tell you you're so spoiled down there. Barron looks pretty good too. It's, it's huh? I'm going it to Kilmar for my holidays. I've been cycling around circles here over the last six months. I'm looking across at the burn and... It's lovely in the evening because the burn kind of shines. Oh, yeah. And you're looking across and you're kind of going, we still can't cross the county line. Now, I don't know if this is true, but I heard I heard this last weekend. That there was a, there's a group from Galway Bay Cycling Club hid in the back of a tractor of bales. Ten of them. They drove across the border of Kinvara and pushed <laughs> the bales aside and out they went round the that burn. Wasn't probably necessary. The anyway. picked them up at Ballyvaughan Pier and brought them back to Russellville. <laughs> Did you hear your public representative now? Have you been able to find out anything about that? I wish people told me these stories. That's interesting. <laughs> God, that was a lot of work. I don't know if that was absolutely, I don't know how many guards we have in the back roads between Kinvara and Clare. Like, but it was like, remember the Peach to film smuggling, <laughs> smuggling, uh, what are we, smuggling radios across the border? I've heard a lot of things in, in transport boxes, but I haven't heard that one now behind straw beds. <laughs> well, you come to that yet? <laughs> Hopefully now we're going to get the opening up in the next few weeks, you know? Yeah, yeah. Good good news coming tomorrow, I think, and in the next few weeks, more and more announcements. You know, the, the good thing, I mean, COVID is terrible and it was hard for my parents and we lost some good people, you know, but like mm. there's so much money there now for outdoor dining, outdoor everything. And like as a country, we were, we were holding ourselves back from going outside. We have the same rainfall as they have in Amsterdam, you know, and we, we go on as if it rains all year round, but 
and weather is as bad as we think. But we got no. out in it there in during lockdown, and it's so great to see places getting money now for proper amenities and you know awnings and simple things. Maybe giving a bit more space on footpaths and roads to people to sit outside and dine. We've all seen it in France and Italy and places where they do it outside, right? Okay, we don't get the consistency that they have, but the climate has changed now, so nobody knows what kind of weather we're going to be getting. True. You made so, a really good point, point at the start, like, and it was actually really good. You said, like, yeah, we're kind of, we can be jealous maybe at the likes of Holland and Belgium and that, but you know, you can turn around and go, hold on a minute. They, they'd give their left arm to be cycling around the back roads up around here, like. Oh, yeah. We have Amazing. such a massive resort. There's so much open space. There's so much varied country, coast, hills, mountains. Mm beautiful farmland like it's just when you sit back and you think about it and you're going to do this during covid we think my god we are blessed and why oh, can't we make the most of this like it's stunning we're so lucky as a country and the diversity you know even just in clare even around the 10k around me there's the barn there's the sea there's forest mm. you know there's everything when, when coronomy went up to russaville like that time just between you know ennis diamond and north clare and russaville in, in north galway it was like going through about 10 different countries. Yeah. We found wild plums in one place there near Oran Moor. We had wide roads, skinny roads, all kinds of animals. It's only when you're out and you see the variety. Mm. Yeah, I know we're lucky. God, it's so boring in Holland, cycling-wise, flat. And like, we haven't ruined our farms. You know, people give out about the farmers, but we still have awesome farms and awesome hedgerows. We have the best hedgerows in Europe. Now, we have a bit more work to do in protecting those poor things, but you know... Yeah. Uh, we got to count our blessings sometimes and we have so many blessings to count here and I think COVID really reminded us of that and I think when you don't see it unless you walk or cycle it you know I mean the best way to see the burn is on a bike without a doubt yeah. forget about people drive through the burn and stop me going where's the burn and I'm like you're in it you just don't realize it because you're in a car you know this is the burn mm -hmm. but uh, it's such a great way to see everything and it's not the thing about cycling is you can cover ground if you want to but it, you're, you're not you're not going too fast to be able to stop and chat to people I was in Labashida last weekend and I got to chat to the local postmistress and the oldest man in the village. And, you know, mm. they had some great ideas that I actually brought to the Shannon the following Monday. Really? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Simple things like other ideas about how to use the post office and stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, if I had gone in the car, I wouldn't have heard any of those stories. Mm. We're blessed as a country and hopefully, you know, we can make the most of it. And I think cycling is a big, big part of that. Yeah, and I think inviting politicians who don't cycle to, to cycle events. I mean, I can't wait to start a lot more community cycles um, after this is over. Like, I had planned to bring the farmers from um, Watford up to meet the farmers up along the route here, just mm. to let them talk to each other. There's no way I should be talking to a farmer about greenways. Mm. It should be a farmer, you know what I mean? Who, who, I, I mean, it's not going through my land, so why would I be convincing people? You know what I mean? So mm. you, you've got to get you got to get the right people talking to the right people to get this stuff moving. And greenways, we won't do it. It'll have to be landowners talking to landowners that have learned from their own experience. But there's so much happening now. Soon we'll be cycled, you'll be able to cycle all the way from Galway to Dublin, you know? Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. So I mean for, for cycling clubs then, like, I mean, one message maybe for cycling clubs is like you say, invite politicians, people who are decision makers, planners along to cycling events. It's not really something that would kind of come to mind. You would never think just we better get the planner along to this whole race or sport for having, but yeah, engagement, you know engagement, engage, yeah. engage. Because why would they care if they don't know about it? And like, if they experience it, then they understand, you know. Mm. And like that was the big thing with the community cycles for me when I was organizing family cycles. You would get people making an effort for their kids' sake; they would normally never cycle. Mm. 
Mm. And all of a sudden, they're on bikes. Because it's only a 5K and they cycle as kids, of course, they're going to be able to cycle. They just get a bike and do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But all of a sudden, they understand the experience and the joy it brings and the, the social interaction and all that other positive stuff. And then the, maybe something just clicks. And they might do it for the kids, but they wouldn't do it for you or for themselves. You know what I mean? Mm. I, I'd love to see cycling clubs doing more cycling events that are not 160K or 100K or, or you know, starter 40K. Starter for, 40K is not a starter cycle, you know. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And, and you know as well what I've kind of been aware of is as one barrier to getting young people involved in cycling clubs. There's a lot of cycling clubs... Like you'll have, you know, people in their low twenties, but the big chunk of people in cycling clubs is kind of late thirties, forties, and into the fifties. You get a big, big bulge there. Mm. Uh, excuse the pun. <laughs> but so, and, and a lot of the fear then is when you t- bringing in teenagers for for um, events, uh, bring them on spins and kind of youth training, and that is is a fear of bringing teenagers out on a road with cars, you know. But it's like you say, I mean, you have to really take charge of the road, isn't it? Yeah. What would you say to people who are in cycling clubs, we're trying to get a youth program going, but there's a fear there of the responsibility of bringing young people out on on roads. Well, I I, I was saying today to one of the guys down in Shannon Cycling Club, because he committed me, it's it's a skill. And it's it's not about leaving anybody behind. I don't know what it is with cycling clubs. I know they do pelotons, but in general... Mm. Um, you see that sometimes they're tearing off and the, the lads at the back just happen to be the most unfit. But you don't do that with a cycle with a group of kids or teenagers. You actually let the slowest cyclists dictate the speed because it's not a race. It's it's a thing you do for enjoyment as a group together. So you slow it down, first of all. You don't go tearing off. Teenagers love it. Mm. Like they might act the maggot and all, but you didn't we all. But, I mean, it's so good for them. Like you said, it empowers them to know how to read the pressure on their tire properly. How, how to get the saddle right, how to cover their brakes. And instead of presuming they know all these things, start with the real basics mm. and teach them the basics, you know. And yeah, it's it's not, uh, some cycling clubs, you know, will take kids and they feel they got to get a racer, you know. Mm. And I, I the kid with the racer is usually the biggest annoying because his dad's <laughs> a lycra cyclist and he thinks he knows more than any silly, silly woman with a, with a normal bike, you know. And, and they're, they're just all about speed, but you put them to the test then and they can't stop properly. They don't know the two o'clock start. They're not really sure of themselves. They're just kind of pretending and just getting on the bike and pedaling like a hamster. <laughs> and, they, and they've lost the enjoyment of it because they're straight into PBs at the age of 10 or 11 or 12. Like, where's the crack in that? Dead right. And, and, and sports clubs don't have to be, it can be, cycling can be a sport, but first and foremost, it's, it's a thing to do, to enjoy and to get around and to do with your friends. It's not all just, PBs, you know, and covering the distance. In every club, you have a mix, you know, you have the real elite cyclists who are like mad for PBs and race and all. But there is, it's great to have all types of cyclists, isn't it? Mm, variety is the spice of life. And like I used to kind of despise the the really serious, I only cycle 160K on my own as fast as I can, or, you know, I only see it as a sport. And nothing else. And I used they used to really kind of annoy me. But then I realized that they were my advocates because they're actually probably usually really good at, at um at bike mechanics for training, for for search for for instance. And often if you're doing a big, uh, big huge cycle with kids, you might get them to stop traffic and then they can bomb up and stop it again, you know. So so 
I started engaging with them more because what used to happen in the beginning is I'd be doing a carefree day or a cow day, cycle on Wednesday or cycle on Friday. And I'd be spending the whole day in a school and I'd be doing cycle training, off-road, bike fixing, and then maybe a cycle on-road. So I'd invite them to bring their parents. And often the only parents that would turn up would be a guy who'd taken the half day or was working from home with the full lycra gear now for a 5K cycle. And, and they'd nearly stand in front of me chatting to the kids, you know, about speed and sport and all that. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. I just need you to go and pump that tire. <laughs> Can you? Yeah, but Roshi, you don't understand. <laughs> it's all about the bling. I honestly don't you understand. Spend, you spend 150 quid on a jersey and, and another 100 quid on a pair of goggles. You want it to be seen. Yeah, it's, it's not an inclusive thing, is it then? And I was thinking, like you were saying there about reaching out to the young people. Mm. But like, if you put young people under pressure to feel that they need a racer to join a club, it's very few kids are going to have parents going to fork out for a racer, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you're only making the kid into a bit of a dickhead anyway, to be honest with you, because they think that yeah. just because they've got this racer, that that means they're a better cyclist, which is so far from the truth in some ways, you know? Well, I mean, if like, often if you push if you push a kid, you can push them away, you know. And if you bring in kids, like the best the best kind of racer is someone who just themselves finds they have a talent, they're good at going fast, and it's something they love. And in any club, if a kid shows promise and wants to get into it, no club is going to is is going to let a kid who's good go without a bike. Yeah, and it's yeah. important that all the other kids as well that they keep keep on the cycling because all clubs in Ireland aren't just a few elite racers. There's a few of them, but it's it's the whole wider club support network. You know, yeah. it's the social network. It's that infrastructure where, let's say, in a sportive, people are marshalling on a race, other people are marshalling, you know. And people are, like you say, on a, on, on a, on a, a club spin, more elite racers are helping the other cyclists. They're helping fix the bikes, fix the puncture. They're helping yeah. to teach them how to move up and down along to get in out of the wind. So it does take all types for, to make a cycling club, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, I mean, slagging them all, but there is, it's a community. A cycling club is a community. Like I, I did a 40K there up in around the burn a few years ago. And like, it was funny. Half of them were saying, you'll do the 100K next time. And I was like, I literally have no interest in ever cycling 100K for no reason. Like if it was to get on a plane to go somewhere or, you know, I, I just, it's not me to do 100K for no reason. You know what I mean? I did the 40K and it was around the burn and I came last and kept stopping to pick blackberries and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> nice but then at the, at the same time, I, I got the camaraderie of it. Mm. And then the, the Cliffs of Moher cycle, I volunteered to do the, the signing in at six in the morning. I like the buzz of that as well. You know, I, I get it. There is a buzz yeah. there, you know. Best crack I had was we had a sportive organized by Challenge. And uh, it was up around Karen. There's a bend up there anyway. Windiest place you could imagine. A wet old day. And I was there manning a, a table full of oranges and bananas. And I brought a Sharpie with me. And I started writing motivational messages on the bananas. <laughs> Go faster. <laughs> you can do it and all this. And... But it's a best act like, you know. Really yeah. good. Like, I'm, I'm as much fun doing that as I had actually ever on a cycle. The cycling, yeah, yeah. Mm. Like today was interesting. I, I had, I, I said... So I believe, you know, leave no man behind. And sometimes with cycling, I think we we make people feel bad because they're the slowest. You know what I mean? And like I, I tend to put maybe the slower cyclists or the youngest cyclists up the front leading the way. This is if it's a community event, you know, that's what you do. You want everybody to feel included. You don't leave anybody behind. So I might have an adult at the back and an adult at the front, but 
nobody nobody falls behind the adults. You know what I mean? At the back, and if if somebody's trying to fall behind the adult, that adult needs to tell the person in front to slow down. Mm-hmm. You That's know, so, so important. Yeah. Ah, yeah, it is. I mean, you know, not people... worse than being dropped off the back of a group when you're you're just getting started, and there's a, and there's a big wind. It's the loneliest place on earth, and you're looking you're looking ahead, and there's fifty people up the road. And I've been that road, well it's horrible. Mars. It's a horrible feeling. I had the, I had the, the, the two lads on the motorbikes at the back, you know, they were at the back of us, and I didn't realize they were gone ahead, or I don't know what was happening. I was cycling them anyway. I was on, uh, I myself and my friend, looking at a friend with me, he he was way fitter than me, but he decides to stick with me. But the two lads came back going, We're just going to leave you on your own. Is that okay? We're going to go ahead with the rest. And I was like, Sure, no problem. Oh my God, I'm useless. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, I suppose those kind of events, they're not my style. You know, give me 20K with a crowd of people and having a picnic at the end. or Yeah, a few points along the way. No, it could be because I need to get fitter as well. I mean, on a personal level, if I had time, I'd happily spend hours on the bike. I just don't prioritize my time that way, you know. Mm. But look, the main takeaway is, you know. All kinds. It's about getting out on the bike and enjoying it. Smelling the roses. All kinds and give back as well. You know, if you're a super duper cyclist, You've got skills to pass on to people, and I don't mean just speed, but like how to mind the bike and give a bit back and organize fun events as well with, with your kids and other people's kids. And not everybody's got parents that's going to t- take care of them and get them on the bike, so maybe that's something other adults could do, you know. That's a great note, Miss Sanders. And Roshin, thanks a million for joining us. Now it was a real pleasure. And oh, uh, flew. Hope, hopefully, now they'll open the borders to the burn in the next few we- weeks so we can get down and. I'll meet you on the border, Richie. Through a Mullockmore. <clears throat> God, yeah, that's some crack. Yeah. We'll see you soon. It's longer fall. Longer fall in. Mind yourself. Justin Garvey, Senator, cycling activist, environmentalist, all around legend. An honour to talk to you, Richie. See you soon.